Welcome to the journey of an esthete, a comprehensive examination of all things aesthetic, the arts, the humanities, and what it means to be human. Hello, Jamie. Is it yeah. We, it finally worked. <laughs> it did? Okay. <laughs> I didn't see anything different, but if you say so. Well, the, the, how we know it works is that I'm saying something, and then you hear my voice, and your voice is coming in loud and clear. So this is how it's supposed to go. So. <laughs> okay, well, that's, that's pretty funny, actually. All right, we're good. <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to introduce you and say why you're on the show again. Uh Jamie Riston has been on before in 2019, where we talked about her her career as a writer, fiction, teaching, and of course her daughter's been on, Miley. And we're bringing you back because you have a new book out, How Not to Drown is the name of the book. And it's brand new, it's hot off the presses. Um, I thought it would be really interesting, if you're, if you're willing to play along, Jamie, to discuss uh, the process of making an art object, in this case a novel, from inception to con- I mean conception to inception to going to market, uh, art direction, and publishing, anything you want to talk about. And I thought it'd be really exciting to talk about both some of the, you know, details of the novel, what it concerns, but also the experience of making something and putting it out into the world. Yeah, any thoughts you have about that? So how does that sound to you, Jamie? Oh, that sounds great. So let, let's do it. Um, talk about, um, I guess, first, how you came to write this particular book after Vanishing Acts and the, the story of that. Okay, well, this book was um, actually in conception stage before I ever, you know, put it, put out Vanishing Acts into the world. Um, I, I seem to have a... Uh, oh, I don't know, backlog maybe of book ideas. And um, sometimes one of them will come to fruition. I mean, Vanishing Acts was years of mm-hmm. trying, you know, revisions, etc. This one, um, I had been thinking about actually when Vanishing Acts was published and had done some of the research. I, I went over to the Isle of Skye and, um, you know, got both the place location research and then looked into the clearances. Um, what happened was I found out relatively late in life that um, the Scottish part of my family had been involved in the, the clearances. Um, they had basically been tenant farmers and they and hundreds of other families all over the um Scottish Highlands and the Hebrides were, you know, kicked kicked out of their houses, um, sometimes forcibly, sometimes very violent, uh, houses were burned, etc., and, and were left virtually homeless. And having found this out was just crazy. I mean, I, I went through my entire adult life knowing that my great grandmother was Scottish, Mm -hmm. but never having been told that, you know, about this other factor of how she got here in the first place or actually to Prince Edward Island and then to, to Honolulu, which is where I'm from. Um, So I was before maybe, you know, about the time vanishing acts was, um, being finished and going through editing, et cetera, I went over to the Isle of Skye and um, I ended up doing research there and also taking a very, very long hike in the rain that no one else was interested in doing with me. So Mm -hmm. I did it to where I had researched and thought that my family homestead would have been. And it was two ruins and it was, Ten, it was a 10-mile hike, um, arduous in places. I mean, it, it, the, one of the Isle of Skye's nicknames is the Misty Isle. And um, some of those rocks I had to scramble over were quite wet. And it was probably 
pretty treacherous, but I was determined having gotten this far to the, um, you know, to, to the Isle of Skye. And this was the last day to do this hike. So I went and, um, when I got there, I had to climb the cattle tents and, but then once I was inside this enclosure and I was standing on a, on a particular part of the ruins, looking out to the sea. And I just suddenly had this mystical feeling, you know, this sense that this was it, that this was their, the ruins of their home. So w- once I got back to the Isle of Skye, the other place that I ended up going was Prince Edward Island and, mm-hmm. you know, to the, to the lighthouse, the place they would have landed. So I was gathering all of this wow. um, at the time of Vanishing Act coming out. Wow. And, uh, it, yeah, it was, it was amazing. And then I was ready to start writing the book. Well, it's, um, I mean, that story alone really brings home a theme on our podcast, uh, Journey of an Esthete, because, um, you know, we just had a guest on, I don't know when, uh, well, actually this month that we're recording this, we had a trombonist on and composer, and he has material that he reworks and reworks and reworks, and I'm going to choose different instruments and uh, it's just a long process of you know trying to make up his mind about what to do and the freedom to do it. Uh-huh. In your case, it involves very the most deeply personal matters, matters of family and matters of um, political injustice and and land yeah. and geography. And you know, I want to get to this in a second because in your novel, it also takes an ecological dimension. I mean, there, there's spiritual dimensions yeah. in your novel having to do with people trying to, you know, forge or cobble together their own faith or their own spiritual spirituality, especially some of the younger characters in, in, in the novel. And, but then there's also this ecological dimension because of the, you know, the climate change and, and bad weather and strange weather and, and the saga, yeah. um, the saga of this particular family who I grew to love. I must say, you know, I read the book very recently. I, I just finished it a couple days ago in time for this. And I, I could say that I could tell the listeners out there they should you know this is a really good novel, and it's really about so much in one novel, and you really c- come to know these people as real people in the world, um, and there's a lot at stake. So I've said too much, but what, what I'm saying is you you're finding out things about your own family, right? And right. And this hike, and then you and you're probably because you're already a writer. That's probably good for you in a certain sense, right? Because it gives you something, you know what you want to do, right? You're sort of thinking, I want to do something with this, this material. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and um, I, I mean, the story, the whole story didn't come to me all at once, but um, I knew I wanted to tell Maggie's story. Yes. But I, I also knew that. I didn't want the book to be just um, an, an historical novel. Uh, I'm not, that's not really what I do as a writer, and I was I was excited about doing it somewhat. Yeah. But um, what I'm really interested in is is how the uh, how the past plays into the present, mm-hmm. how what happened to Mag- Maggie and her family. Mm-hmm. you know, became the modern day McQueens in, in, in Massachusetts and, and what sort of hang, hangs on to that violence. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that, I mean, again, your, your novel is, has so much, um, I'm just, I'm praising it very highly because, uh, because of these connections, I often think that sometimes artists see connections, uh, that maybe other people don't don't see. So so you know you have one a, mm-hmm. you have woman in 1850, and yet you and but you go back and forth uh, between the present tense. I don't know if it's the 80s, 90s, um, of these contemporary people that it's the same family, distant re- relations, and right. the reader is able to um, see connections between things and see how you know behaviors get repeated. And it's not a, you know, I should say it's not in a crude or on the nose fashion. It's very, very um, deep. It's it's a work of art. It's a novel. And so the the reader uh, feels these things as they're reading 
And also, this is very much your style, Jamie, is, um, you know, from the point of view, from the inside out of the speaker, whether it's Heaven or Daniel or, you know, Grandma Amelia and um, uh, Leo and all these these characters, right? Amelia, you, you give them their title, you know, the title is the character, and then the character's off and running and speaking from their point of view. It's wonderful how you did that. But I guess I'm interested in, you know, you said you're not you're not a historical novelist, but yet you seem to take to it pretty well. <laughs> it's you know you just succeed in yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what? So talk. Yeah, about, but I I, I think I, I think what you were talking about with the connections mm-hmm. that's what is really interesting to me. Uh, how 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 family connections can play out through the generations and. If you recall, in Vanishing Acts, I did that, but it was four generations, and they were connected. You know, the yep. the grandfather, the mother, the you know, and yeah. and so on. But in this case, it it was the um, the influence of you know a hundred, almost two hundred years. Well, not quite two hundred, but yeah, well over a hundred years later, and how these. Um, how the family functioned with those kind of connections. Uh-huh. It's beautiful because you have a character in prison, uh, a woman in prison, yeah. and, and you have, because of that, her child has to be taken care of by other relatives, right? Um, right. And that's a beautiful, I really enjoy reading about that and the way you express that. Talk about how you, you know, you developed your ideas about, you know, dealing with the criminal justice system and dealing with, um, you know, how we care for the young and, and just talk a little bit. I was really, really um, impressed with how you, you weave that. If you don't mind, look a little bit about that. Oh, yeah. Well, it was actually fairly interesting because um, Cassie, Heaven's mother, originally had a much bigger part in the novel. And this kind of shoots us back to, you know, your original question about a a novel coming into the world, Um, my editor felt that I had too many um, point point of view strands going on where each character had their own perspective and that the the audience (laughs) could you hold that for it, you you know, thought so your editor was your editor was complaining about the very thing I like about Jamie Riston's fiction. So in other words, that's, that's, that, <laughs> yeah. did you, do you tell your editor, well, that's, that's my style. That's what I'm known for. This is what I do. But anyway, go ahead. Go well, and I that's told her that. I, I told her this is the way I write books. This is what I'm interested in. Yeah. But, I mean, she didn't want to take it all out. She just thought right. it would be more powerful yeah. to have Cassie and Mercy, both of whom had um, perspective sections that alternated with the rest, if they would just appear in the – the family, the main family's um, time frame. So, I mean, I, I grumbled. I, honestly, I did, but she was she was not going to turn back. So I thought, all right, well, I'll give it a try. And I mean, I do I do like the book, but I do miss having those other two char- what, characters. But of course, they do show up. I mean, Cassie is very important. Heaven's mom. I mean, it's interesting. The question of editors and writers is not a straightforward one, right? Because um, there's your example. And again, you have a good editor. I don't mean any. I'm, a fa- I'm fair-minded on my show, and your editor has their reasons, and you have your reasons. Um, conversely, right. though, there are cases where artists change their entire style because of an editor. And they take, you know, right? the most famous example for me is Raymond Carver, right? Because Raymond Carver. I was just thinking of that. Yeah. Because Raymond Carver <laughs> wrote, Raymond Carver wrote like, you know, Henry James or Updike. Yeah. You know, long yeah. syntax and, and all these, which I would love to have seen some of that stuff because he had never saw it. But, and his editor said, why don't you try writing, you know, why don't you change the, t- the, the syntax? And that's a. You know, it's an interesting question, right? So the, we only know the Raymond Carver we know, right? At least I do. You, you have any thoughts about, right. about the role of style? And does it matter who comes up with it? Or I guess it matters how the artist feels, right? Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting that you bring up Raymond Carver because that is I, – I teach one of his minimalist um, uh, collections in my, um, in my advanced fiction workshop. And then I – 
I bring in a couple of his more maximal stories oh, to compare. Yeah. Um, and, and um, you know, we talk about revision and the, and the idea of developing a piece to its mm-hmm. um, full potential, which is what Carver did after he cut away from, you know, Gordon Lish, his editor's um, influence. But in this case, the uh, my editor loved the style and she loved the the characters she just thought there were too many of them uh, but it was still very hard for me to you know she said to me you have to kill your darlings Jamie so i've joked with people that i've i've kept my darlings in a you know a little computer file and Someday I will bring out a book, The Darlings, and <laughs> Cassie and Mercy will have their... <laughs> it, it's, it's funny because I have to say that if I did not know any of this, and I just started reading this, you know, as just a reader outside, mm-hmm. it reads just like Shark Girls or Vanishing Act. So in a sense, that's yeah. a good sign. So you're still yourself. In other words, clearly you haven't, yeah. you know, I don't want to give the impression that, you know, you're still very much your, your own writer and that that comes through and... So, so that's, um, would you agree with that, that you haven't, you know, you're still very much. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. No, I mean, I I don't think she probably wouldn't have, um, acquired the book for the press if she didn't like the style. Uh, she loved the style. She just thought that, you know, there was just, uh, too many strands of point of view characters and that, that readers would want to kind of settle into this family and it made it, it made enough sense to me because of course I was um I, I was doing a book about the the connections to a family from long ago and how that played into this family so it made sense it was just hard for me because I love I mean you yeah you mentioned Cassie in in in, in prison and the criminal justice system um I mean i I taught at a maximum state prison in Maine for five years, oh, and it, yeah. it was a profound influence on me. You know? So yeah. I, I, I just, um, I, I think probably some of that rubs off whenever I do a character that, you know, has, is in prison or, um, um, I guess, Wild Things yeah, was Wild a collection. Things, that's right. Yeah, and that has one. That has a story with uh, the, the prison. But um, the book that I did that was mostly about that was called Climbing the God Tree, and that was my second novel and stories. And that that came out in ninety seven, ninety eight. So you that's know, the, that's that's the first. That's, a, that's the quite first a bit older. <laughs> well, as you know, that's the first thing of yours I read, and Miley told me to read that. It's because of Miley. That's the reason why we're talking. Oh, about right. Miley said, Miley said, read a book called Climbing the God Tree, and so I did because she told me to. Oh, so that it. was the book that you read. Oh, I was thinking it was Shark Girls. Interesting. Okay. Shark Girls was afterwards. Yes, it was quite a quite a bit afterwards, yeah, actually, because that was but for me, they were, well. For me, they were closer together. So I was reading. I was reading, yeah. I was reading climbing the God Tree. I probably about a decade after it was probably published or written. So which right, which yeah, do, you know, but books are you know, books do have an eternal dimension, even though they're bound to earth. They, you know, you could pick a book up. I mean, the point of a book. That's right. Know, the very point of a book is you could pick it up in the morning or the night or in. 1997 or 2021 and hopefully it'll speak to you or have something to say to you so you know but i just yeah i love this novel and i and i you know of course want people to go out and and read it and get it before we talk about a little bit about um the process of publishing and art direction and all that do you mind reading from it a little bit like reading um i know sure because there's um I'm really fascinated by the child's point of view in this book, what you do with that. I don't know why. There's something – it's almost comic and also very – it's, it's you know, right? It's, 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 yeah. it's comic but also devastating. Um, do you mind right. reading some of that or something that you picked out? You, you might want to read Mag- yeah. Maggie's Journey on the Ship. Oh, no. Amazing. I, I mean – I mean, I yeah. – I, I love it all. I, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm good with whatever you would like me to read. Um, it's up to you. Just pick something and read it. You're a good reader. Um, 
Oh, oh, okay. You haven't actually picked out a section. Mm, I, I did, but I don't want to tell you. Unless you want me to tell you. I kind of... I kind of I, no, no, no. I, I, um, I thought it'd be interesting to... Uh, you know, one of the heaven passages, right, where... You know, yeah. L- looking at the grown-ups like these weird creatures that are ignoring, right? Them, right. You know, they're st- always snorting and sticking, ne- you know, the pipe and all that. It's just really brilliant, I think. Just the, if you- yeah. Well, I'm I'm looking at a uh, a section here where she's um where she's on um the the pool deck being ready. She's ready to try out for swim team, which yeah. of course she. Um, it, this means a lot to her because she's being bullied in school Mm -hmm. and she figures that if there's something she could do really well, Mm -hmm. which is swimming, that, um, if she makes the team, these, these kids would have to respect her more. And of course, if they don't, she has a plan, (laughs) which is, you know, the drowning songs from, and that's where the Celtic mythology comes in again, but. I could read this little bit about the, about her when she's about to. Okay. Kevin. Kevin on deck, the swim coach called it. You go on deck when she calls your name for swim team tryouts. French lane six, the couch, the coach shouts into her bullhorn. Kevin rushes down the narrow row of bleachers to the bottom row, where, of course, Bethany Harrison and the B-girls, who are already on the team, so they get to sit in front, stick out their feet to trip her. Oops, stepped on Brittany's little pinky toe. Pig, Brittany howls. Sorry, Kevin says, head down. Don't look them in the eye. Yeah, not really, she mutters under her breath. The sky overhead is a hard March blue with puffy cirrus clouds like smoke rings. A wind picks up suddenly. Heaven shivers. It's too cold for them to open this outdoor pool yet. What are they thinking? It's not even spring. Grandmelia had bitched yesterday. Maybe she was right. Never mind, Heaven thinks. The ocean is deep, dark, and cold. She can handle it. She'll rock this town pool. Heaven on the starting block, lane six. Look to her left, lane seven, a small Rachel something, not a B-girl, not even a seventh grader yet, so not a threat. To her right, a girl who's getting homeschooled. No one seems to know her. Heaven takes a deep breath, practices holding it in like she did in Grandmelia's pool, counts, blows out. Her heart is beating like crazy in her chest, like the snare drums in there, tap, tapity tap. Sudden mouth fart noises from the bleachers. Then Bethany's tinkly fake laugh made louder, so heaven hears. Mm. Coach blows her whistle. Listen up, girls. Positions. Heaven and the rest of them on deck, readying themselves to dive in. Knees bent, arms out over their heads, chins tucked. You know the drill. Freestyle, backstroke, butterfly, breast, then out. I want you to go as fast as you can without compromising the strokes. Got it? The stroke is all, couch, coach shouts. Stroke is all, stroke is all. Breathe, breathe. Just concentrate, her dad used to tell her. Think it out. That was before his own mind kind of drifted away. But still, heaven hears some whisper in her head. Shriek goes the whistle, and she's in. Stroke, stroke, breathe, pull, stroke, stroke, breathe, pull, flip, turn, and again, stroke is all, stroke is all, breathe, breathe, heaven's swimming, heaven's swimming, it's all she wants to do, stroke, stroke, breathe, breathe, pull, pull, suck in a big breath, flip, turn, repeat, she feels great, like this, right now, this is her, heaven's swimming, when she's done, she clasps onto the deck at the end of the pool for a moment, catching her breath. And for just a moment, she peers up at the bleachers and imagines her mom there with a couple of the other moms, her real mom, cinnamon hair, pale skin, smiling at heaven. You did it, sweetheart. Not that she ever called heaven that, but her dad did sometimes. Her mom probably thought it anyway. Heaven hoists herself up on the deck as the rest of the lanes finish, one after the other. Rachel has laughed, and Heaven sees her panting, her eyes tearing up through her swim goggles as she clutches the deck. Heaven offers her hand to help Rachel out. 
swimmers, listen up, coach says, walking behind them now on the swim deck. If I call your name, you made the team. If I don't, that means you keep working your strokes. The stroke is all. Then you try again next year. Heaven holds her breath as the coach calls out names of the older girls who tried out first, the division over the one Heaven's trying for. She peers up at the sky, clouds, maybe even a snowflake or two, as that chilly wind picks up again. But that's okay. Anything to distract her from the B-girls making fart noises until she hears it. Heaven French, Division 2. I'll stop there. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Um... That's, that's, um, I really like, you know, you, you that's a, the, that passage of the, the, the sounds, um, it's, that's pure poetry. I like how you go into that, um, totally poetic. Oh, thank mode. you. Totally poetic mode, you know, with the, with the smack and it's almost, it's actually, it's a weird, it's kind of like what Updike does in wife wooing a little bit, right? Except, right. You're, mm. You know the passage I'm talking about, the, the, the update, but you're taking it and you're yes. Well, I know his work, yeah. But that, yeah, that those kind of effects. But you're 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 turning it on its head, and it's a it's um, it's a it's a it's a it's a little it's a little girl's um, soliloquy, and not a married man. Um, it's, yeah. extra, it's extraordinary. <laughs> no, it's extra, I mean, it's just. I mean, I could go. It's really, yeah. So I'm I'm happy you read that. Everybody needs an anchor in life. You, me, just everybody. Anchor made this whole show possible. I'm immensely grateful to them. You too can use Anchor to make your own shows and create your own vision. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I'm just, you know, I'm wondering, I know you have a lot to say about producing something and getting it out into the world. But you know this novel and and what comes to mind that the the, the process of that because I know you're teaching in a school you're teaching at Binghampton and you're you know but yet you have to do with publishers and I guess art directors and uh, go talk a little bit about the journey of that if you don't mind because that's oh sure yeah well this book was um, a slightly different journey for me because my other books have all been. Um, in the, in the small press world, you know, literary presses and um, um, university presses. Yep. And so my agent thought that it would be good for me to, to do something bigger this time with the hopes that I would increase my audience. Um, mm -hmm. So this press is interesting because it's um, listed as an independent press, but it has Penguin Random House um, distribution and, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of the umbrella over um, some of these, these other aff affiliates. So on the one hand, it, it's independent, but on a very big hand, it, you know, Penguin Random House oh, is, is the largest publishing <laughs> conglomerate. So... So um, it's been it's been interesting, um, you know what you what you gain in um, readership maybe, mm -hmm. and because this press sells everything commercially, right. um, you sort of lose in being able to have a say in things that I'm used to having a say in. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, the um, I, I was not a fan of the cover, um, but I did not have a say in that. <laughs> that, that became well, you, you a, a I, bit of a fight. <laughs> you and I both both uh, not crazy about the cover, to put it mildly. I, I concur. So we're here, but talk about you know. Yeah, you have, that's a battle you have to give up, right? You sort of they're going to choose the cover, right? Exactly. There's things you have to give up to you know, deal with the, with the bigger, bigger presses. And, um, so I did not have a say in that, although I do like the color scheme, the color scheme itself has grown on me, but it's just, um, it's not the kind of cover that I'm used to because I'm used to having what I want, <laughs> you know, when you, with, with the smaller indie presses, they're, they'll give you some input for sure, but they generally let you, 
choose what you like, and and if they like it, they will they will go with it. Um, so well, uh, it, I, it certainly. <laughs> Well, this certainly isn't as striking as Shark Girl's cover, which is Miley's contribution, no. right? That cover is beautiful. Exactly. Right? That cover is amazing. Well, Miley's contribution, Miley's contribution was also Vanishing Act. Ah, that's right. That's right. So it's uh, the, Vanishing Act yeah. and Shark Girl. And Shark Girls. They were both her photography. Yep. Um, so, and then Wild Things um, was a. Um, an artist, a cover artist, actually, that the press worked with. And I told him, I, I had a sort of design in mind. Um, and I, I told him what I had in mind. And he came up with mm-hmm. wild things, which, you know, and we sort of worked on it together. He came up with this, this kind of beautiful cover, but I wanted some other things um, shown on it. And and we just worked on it, and, and it's one of my favorite covers. So I did not have that experience with this. Um, I also didn't have uh, – <laughs> the title is not mine, but the title has grown on me. Uh, yeah. What so was, what um, they didn't – Originally? Oh, you know, I, it's funny because I had 20 I, – I came up with so many other titles. I'm not even sure I can remember exactly the one. I mean, there there was – um, the weight of water that was one one that I was very fond of and no they didn't like it and another one was like Stealing it. Heaven which I what was the last one Gay- I thought they would go for that The Days of Heaven Stealing Heaven oh, stealing <laughs> you know because heaven. she had a shoplifting problem I thought yeah, right. that'd be really but no no um, well, I think it was the, the one that I was pushing for was The Weight of Water but they didn't like it. I have come to actually like the title now. Um, I, I was a little appalled, that, you know, when it was was changed. But it, that that didn't take me as long to get used to as the cover, which I'm still getting used to. Yeah, I, I'm not, <laughs> so I just um, when you mentioned that the title could have been "Stealing Heaven" or "Weight of Water," both of which are fantastic titles. I don't exactly. Know, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how not to drown. I, it, yeah. So do they when they when they make these decisions? Is it based on um, do they do like statistical algorithmic measurements of audiences to come up with this stuff, or do they must right? They must have their own. It's like they have. Yeah, they kind of do. I mean, they they know their audience and um, they know the audience they're marketing to, uh-huh. and they really. I mean, the the press has a marketing department, and you know, I guess they they've had a certain amount of success with with books. And so they're, they're not willing to accommodate yeah. untested waters. That's right. Yeah. They don't want to risk because they've done this thing before in their mind and they looked at the sales of what they did. And so they say, well, this, yeah. when we did X, Y, and Z, it sold. So that means you have to do X, yeah. Y, and Z, right? It's kind of a very, it's a very, a very linear mechanistic kind of, um, um, yeah, it, exactly. It's very, it's very anti-Humean, right? Because David Hume said that presidents doesn't tell you much, right? It wasn't a David Hume that called yeah. the question, you know, if, if, if yesterday so-and-so happened, you know, that doesn't mean it's the same thing that's going to happen today. You can't know for sure. So it's a strange, they haven't read their Hume or something or they haven't, I don't know. It's kind of, <laughs> I, I would guess that, I'm sure that's the case. Speaking <laughs> of the Scottish, right? You know, I brought in a Scott when I mentioned David Hume. I had to bring in. Scott, uh, yeah, right. Um, so <laughs> I'm just wondering, um, I just uh, you're going through all these, all these uh, running through hoops. Is it like running through hoops, uh, complying with all these things, or is it what is it? But yet, you have this book that's gonna, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there are things that they did that I really love. Um, okay. I think side of the book is terrific I am you know the pages are a nice way they um um they the 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 inside design is done really well you know it feels like a a really um I I don't know a a book that'll last you know it feels like it's it's been done well um it's been treated well and I should add there's a great photo of you so there's a good author photograph in there too if that matters to you you know and 
Yeah. And uh, well, I finally got a, a new author photo. I mean, I, I had been using the same one for the last three books and I, I decided, well, you know, yeah. this is probably time to yeah. move on in life and, you know, acknowledge that I'm whatever the age of those other photos, I, I'm not anymore. So, right. so I did that. And, um, and, uh, you know, all of that went into, um, the cover, the yes. you know, in this case, the book flap. Um, but I wasn't. I the the blurbs that um, we got, you know, they they trimmed down some of them, and I I was sort of disappointed in that because they were very good blurbs. Mm-hmm. But I was informed by um, my publicist that that's what the um, the New York trade presses do now, um, which is to give just kind of a punchline from, from the blurbs because they believe that, you know, people aren't going to spend a lot of time reading the blurbs, but they will notice certain things. So all this is done by, almost like you said, by algorithm marketing calculations. Um, and that's very different for me. And, um, you know, at this time next year, if, the book has sold well and gone into a, another printing. Of course, I will be delighted with them, and I'll right. very happily say, "You were right. You were right about everything." The, I mean, the, <laughs> bring up a very—that's a very profound point because aesthetics. You know, when you make an aesthetic object, and when I when I say aesthetic object, it doesn't have to be an object, right? It could be performance, mm-hmm. it could be stand-up comedy, it could be process, it could be seen in the woods. It doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be a thing. But when you make right. an aesthetic object, you're always having to deal with the world. And, you know, how am I going to get this out in the world? You know, that's a, that's a very basic, right? That's a part of right. it, right? The very basic part of um, communication, right? Communicating. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, what, do you want to say anything about some of the content of the novel? I mean, one of the things, of course, is, you know, the substance abuse of these parents when they have a young child and, and the drugs and the shoplifting and, and kind of the uh, emotional volatility um, and the aspect of justice and inequity. Do you want to talk about any of those um, yeah. those things or, or, or is that just part of uh, the intergenerational? Well, I mean, I, I, I did want that sense of the, um, you know, the kind of, Violence, um, both as a, you know, the historical act of the clearances, Mm -hmm. um, right down to the personal violence that um, Maggie experiences on the boat from the from the sailor. That's right. And of course, her drowning. (laughs) Although then some magic happens, but um, but I, I wanted to kind of bring bring that into the um, 21st century where it looks a a bit different. Um, You know, the, um, the drug abusing of Amelia's older son um, and then the wife that he picks out, of course, this ultimately affects their, their daughter tremendously. I mean, she's, she's a survivor. She has to, um, she has to deal with what she's been given, which a lot of the times when she observes her parents, um, you know, as, as she calls it, sniffing stuff up their nose and, you know, smoking, et cetera. um, She's the one who ends up having to Mm -hmm. take care of them. And so when she is put out into the world, what does she do? Well, she steals. Right. You know, these things that there are, um, um, there are results, you know, from this kind kind of behavior. And so that was kind of a way to show how these, um, these acts of violence Mm -hmm. continue even this many years later, um, from when that happened in the clearances. Um, and then of course it connects to, um, Political economy, right? So political economy, yeah. oppression, economic exploitation, conditions of the Scottish, exactly. English imperialism. You know, so it's you're showing how it, it's very, again, that part of the novel is very clear and it's very beautifully uh, wrought. But I think, you know, 
that you're able to get inside the point of view of the characters, which is your strength. And because of that, that's what makes it um, go beyond a political tract, you know, or a writer. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the thing that fiction can do good fiction. And you accomplish that beautifully in this novel. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you have a big publisher because I hope people, that means people will hear about it and read it. So, um, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I, you know, it, it came out at a um, difficult time because in 2020 with the pandemic, a lot of the books that were scheduled to come out were postponed to 2021. So mm-hmm. my book is in the company of twice as many books that would normally be published in one year. And of course, everyone would like the limelight or even just a little piece of it for their mm-hmm. book. So you know, we'll, we'll see um, if it ultimately gets noticed. But I always feel if a few readers love it, um, I've done something that I'm proud of. And, and if people love it, then even if, if it's not hundreds of thousands, well, so be it. If it's a few and they mm-hmm. and it means something, then, you know, that's that's good. Well, and I guess that's kind of the way art is. It is. I mean, I hope people hear this podcast and they buy the book. You know, that's a more practical. I hope so. It's a more. I guess that's a more practical perspective. But you know, um, mm-hmm. but, but I. Um, that's my hope. Certainly, that's why I'm having you on the show. But I'm. It's not just that. I'm interested in how things get to be made, and you know, just that one fact that you're with a bigger publisher and you're not using your daughter's photos and you're having to do things yeah. to their house. That in itself is interesting, right? And that's a that's a big part. That's a big part of an artist's life, right? Is the is the practicality of getting something made, in the context, or even right, or even the context of history, right? That it happens after COVID, or it happens in this in this particular summer or uh, spring or something. Yeah, that matters too, right? It's all, um, it all plays a role. I think. Is there anything else yeah. you want to tell uh, potential readers or future readers about? the mythological and mystical aspects of the novel, which I love and which you're plenty. Oh, um, yeah, help. absolutely. Yeah, yeah please do. <laughs> I'm, into, I'm interested in all those things. So whatever comes to your mind, you know, about that. Yeah, th- thanks for thanks for bringing the, that up. You know, a lot of times people read the, um, the book and it's almost like they're um, the, the, the mystical um, – factors and the Celtic tales are, are sort of an afterthought. They're more interested in the, um, the, the familial conflicts, et cetera, which I'm in, in one way I'm, I'm happy about in the, in the sense that if these characters are brought to life properly, then um, they should be compelling. Mm-hmm. And the fact that people want to talk about them or focus on them, um, is great. But the mystical part of it, the, the Celtic tales was a huge thing for me. Um, Absolutely. You know, it, it, I can tell you, it, it's reader, another. I, I, I can, what's that? If, if you don't mind me interjecting as a reader, it's not second place at all. Far from it. It's very, it's very important to, oh, I'm glad. but that, but it's also been in your other work. It plays a role in shark girls has played. So it's not an entirely new territory for you. Right. But, 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 it's true, and, and then, yeah, yeah it, it was reviewed in Booklist, and the reviewer actually brought that up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she she was talking about my signature themes, mm-hmm. and one of the things she mentioned was mystical beings. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so um, yeah. I'm glad that some uh, other people are noticing that. But um, for me, it was just another way of drawing that connection back from the 21st century McQueens to the 1800s to, um, you know, this, um, this original family from the, um, the Isle of Skye. And for Daniel, who lives a lot in his head, being agoraphobic, and, and of course, having had that near drowning experience, this is a, to him, they are real. And um, he is, you know, he's, he is convinced that he was saved oh. by a selkie. <laughs> so, um, and, and he, I think he, you know, he tells heaven these tales both to 
give her a, a grounding sense in her heritage. She's being bullied at school. She doesn't get along with her grandmother. Her mom's in prison. Her dad is dead. I mean, she's just, you know, she could be such a lost child. And he, and he gives her these tales to yeah. let her feel a, a connection to, you know, a heritage that goes beyond all of that. Mm. So, um, and then, of course, the mystical, I, I did have a lot of fun in that last quarter of the book, you know, when Maggie um, is in the shipwreck and she doesn't make it out of there. Mm. And, you know, she had there. there's that uh, kind of magical realist passage of her being born to safety, but underwater. Um, to this island and how, oh, she doesn't really need to breathe anymore. Yep. But I don't really spell it out right, but I think the, uh, the alert reader realizes, well, this woman is talking to me from the 1800s, so something happened here. <laughs> well, it's so, yeah. every reader, like I'm a, I'm a reader that has, that's not a materialist, right? So because I'm not a scientific materialist, I'm very open to metaphys- certain kinds of metaphysical claims or, or things that you would call supernatural. Yeah. At the same time, I'm not dog- dogmatic. So those things don't put me off. I'm totally open, of course, to those things in your novel. And so I, I would hope other readers can su- suspend, their, um, suspend their normal um, – yeah. Exactly. You have to suspend your disbelief. And that, yeah. that, that's the act of reading fiction in general and, and fiction that, of course, goes beyond the realist. Um, you just have to suspend a little bit more of the disbelief, too. Um, yeah. But I, I, I felt that by drawing upon and giving a number of different Celtic tales that mm-hmm. um, the reader would hopefully be able to kind of get involved in that in that world a, a more magical world um and and suspend that disbelief and and just say oh okay so this seal that is barking outside the house um during a storm mm-hmm. possibly is not just a seal you know and of course heaven notices that in the uh, the harbor scene up in maine when she's run away that the seal has these eyes that all the McQueens have of the color of the sea. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. You know, I really, uh, it's great to hear, talk with you about this, your novel. Um, and it's, uh, it's a real treat. And, uh, for, for listeners, the book is how not to drown. The author is our guest, Jamie Riston. And where should they get this book? It's uh, from a large publisher. It's from, uh, what is the publisher? Oh, it's, yeah. it's well, it's pretty. It's, the, the publisher is Alcove Press, Alcove um, Press. the distributor Penguin Random House, and they could go to the Penguin Random House yep. title. They could go to Amazon. Um, you know, booksellers would be able to easily order it mm-hmm. through Penguin Random House. It, it would be available. At, it's at a lot of online retailers, I noticed. Well, that's great news, and so all good things come to an end, even this. So, is there anything that you want to say? <laughs> is there anything you want to say in conclusion about your novel, about any anything that's close to your heart as we as we conclude? To want to say to our listeners. Well, I think um, the the novel is particularly close to to my heart because it, um, although it it was not my great-grandmother's experience. Um, it was kind of the, her personal voyage that she took, her, her family coming from the Isle of Skye, and then she was born on Prince Edward Island and then managed to, um, huge farm family, too, too big, um, too many mouths to feed, not well off at all. So she and her sister trained as nurses and made it all the way out to San Francisco where she was hired as a nurse for William Randolph Hearst to go over to Honolulu. And it was Hmm. that voyage afterwards where she, my great grandfather hired her um, to help with, with his five kids that he had already. And his wife was ailing and she 
eventually died and my great grandmother married him and yeah. here I am as a result and you know but that was all the Scottish story and background that sort of so the book is very personal to me it, it really is um yeah, it's funny. It's it my, means it, a lot. It's my favorite of everything about all, everything you've written thus far. I think, and I, I don't know whether yeah, I don't know if it's because it's that intimacy closest to your life or not. Maybe yes, you know, I don't know, but but um, I did did enjoy it that much, and I really appreciate um, I really appreciate your generosity and time, but also um, your clarity in expressing your experience, getting this out into the world. So. Listeners can get a peek into what that's like and what it entails. So thank you, Jamie, for that. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me on this show. Such a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you on and be safe out there. Thank you. Good. Thank you. Bye. Good night. I don't like goodbyes, so I'll see you soon, folks. Thank you. Mm-hmm.